And for the rest of us, we are concluding our series called Changed Minds, Changed Lives. So this morning, we will be looking into the passage that we read during the Scripture reading, and that passage is 2 Timothy chapter 2, the first six verses. Now, just looking ahead, um, starting next Sunday, we will begin a series on the book of Matthew. And uh, we're going to emphasize Jesus as King. And what I love about the Gospels is the, the clear picture it gives us of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. So we look forward to our time of looking into uh, the Gospel of Matthew and would invite you to come and uh, share with your friends our course of study as well. <clears throat> well, the passage that we're looking into this morning I think is an ideal closure for the series that we've done this summer, Changed Minds, Changed Lives, because it talks about how God uses other people to change our hearts, to change our minds, and ultimately to change our lives. This morning's passage really highlights the idea of growing in the grace of God and the way that we grow in the grace of God through our interaction with others. You know, some of our values as a church here on the back wall, biblical community, worship, compassion, biblical teaching, spiritual formation, these really encapsulate the idea of what's being brought out in this passage of Scripture, that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, not by just studying the Word ourselves, but by our interaction with other believers in their pursuit of growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ as well. While we can grow on our own, our growth won't be what it could be by being connected with other believers and studying the Word of God and doing life in the Word of God with those around us. That's why it's so important to be part of a Christian community, a part of a church, where we can interact with others who are pursuing that growth in their relationship with God as well. Now, I grew up in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. I learned a lot of theology, a lot of doctrine, a lot of important principles for what it is to grow as a Christian, but it wasn't until I was taken aside and discipled that I saw how to take those principles that I had learned and actually import them into life to where I could live them out and to where I could transfer those truths to other people. I grew the most when I was discipled. And that's what I believe the Apostle Paul is sharing with Timothy in this passage. Now, a refresher on the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was the last book of the Bible that the Apostle Paul wrote. He was martyred right at the conclusion of this book. And as he was writing to Timothy, he was writing to his protege, the person that he had mentored through ministry, the person that he looked to to take his place when he could no longer serve, Timothy held an important position. But what is important about this passage of Scripture is this. Paul's plan for carrying on his ministry did not stop with Timothy. His plan was for Timothy to do to others what he had done with him, and that is disciple them. Share what it is to grow in their faith. And this would become a process that would build the early church and continues to build churches today. Now, as we come to the first verse of this passage, 
We find that we pursue growing in God's grace faithfully. This is our goal as a believer. This is what God wants us to do. There should be a heart's desire to grow in the grace of God. Look at how Paul frames this as he speaks to Timothy about this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. A lot of times when we think of grace, we think in terms of grace just being something that brings us into a relationship with God at salvation. We know that the grace of God means that God has given us His favor freely, that we have not earned it, we have not merited it. It is something that God gives us freely and that is received by faith. In other words, taking God at His word. When it comes to salvation, God offers us forgiveness and right standing with Him by His grace. But faith is that part of us that responds to the grace of God and says, yes, I believe this is true, and I believe it's true for me. God, I take you at your word, and I receive the free gift of salvation that you've given. But that's not where grace ends. Grace not only saves us, But the grace of God is intended to be operative in our lives, throughout our lives. God wants us to experience the transformation, the change that grace brings by its inward strengthening of our soul. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy in this passage. When he addresses him as his child, we know that Timothy was not the Apostle Paul's biological child, but he was his child in the faith. And what we mean by that is he was being discipled, built into. He was growing as a result of his interaction with the Apostle Paul. And after he calls him his child, he says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, the beautiful thing about growing in our walk with God, growing in the grace of God, is the way this is expressed in this text. We are strengthened by the grace of God. In other words, grace acts on us to produce strength in us. Timothy had already received the grace of God as far as salvation, but what Paul is saying to Timothy is, I want to see it operative in your life throughout. I want to see you growing in your walk with God, growing in your relationship with God, all by the grace of God that produces that change that strength. The Lord Jesus Christ, when the Apostle Paul had prayed about a struggle that he was going through, in fact, Paul described it as a thorn in the flesh, as a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. The Lord Jesus Christ said this to Paul once he had received the grace of salvation but was seeking to live out his faith and his walk with God, the following. He, referring to Christ, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And this is Paul's response. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, do you catch what he's saying? Jesus Christ was offering God's grace beyond salvation to be brought to completion in Paul's life. It was the power to change and transform him and make him into the kind of person that God wanted him to be. So what Paul is saying is this, look, 
When it comes to growth, if it means ease but no growth in God's grace, or difficulty but a dependence on the grace of Jesus Christ, give me the difficulty. Because it's better to experience challenge and difficulty and grow than a life of ease with no growth. Now, that's a tough thing to ask, isn't it? God, give me challenges and struggles so I can grow. I don't know about you, but what I usually do when I pray is, God, take the struggles away. This is hard. I don't want to do this. What Paul is saying is, as we are driven to the grace of God, and we experience its ministry in our lives, that is where we are transformed. That is where we really grow. In fact, Paul went on to say this, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. How's that for a list of things to experience? But then this statement, when I am weak, then I am strong. God's grace changes us. And let me say this to you. The only way that I am strengthened, in other words, receive power in my life, is through the grace of God, and I see the grace of God most clearly when I'm going through these struggles, and I can't go it on my own, and I need a dependence on God. That is the truth of this passage. So Paul is saying to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The Jesus who saves us, but it's also the Jesus who sustains us through all of the trials and difficulties of life. But the passage doesn't stop there. It goes on to talk about how when God strengthens us by His grace, the overflow of that grace into the lives of other people helps them grow, but it's also a mechanism for God working in our lives to help us grow. We need to promote growth with others. In other words, I grow my best when I'm with other believers who are growing alongside me. Look at the second verse. And notice the Apostle Paul says this, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others. This is God's model for growth in our personal lives but also growth within the community of believers that we are a part of. God wants us to experience real growth by transferring what has been entrusted to us, the timeless truths of God's Word, and sharing it with other people. And I have found in my life that I grow best when I'm transferring what God has entrusted to me. If I just sit on it, if I just store it up, it goes nowhere. That old saying, if you don't use it, you lose it, it pertains to spiritual things as well. We need to be willing to identify people around us that need to grow and then come alongside them and entrust God's truth to them just as 
others have entrusted God's truth to us. Look at how this passage frames this. By beginning with the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy at the beginning of this second verse when he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy had a unique privilege of being a part of a Christian home. As a matter of fact, in some of Paul's other passages that he writes to Timothy, he shares about Timothy's mother and grandmother and the influence that they had on him spiritually. But in addition to that, he had a relative, Barnabas, who was a part of Paul's team of ministry, and so he had an influence on Timothy's life. But probably the greatest influence was the Apostle Paul himself. He was constantly mentoring and discipling Timothy to move him along in his faith so that he could be strengthened by the grace of God and in turn strengthen others. You see, this passage doesn't stop with just the idea, remember what you've heard from me. The passage goes on to say, hey, remember what you've heard from me, but take what you've heard from me and entrust it to other people. And this is what God, I believe, wants all of us as believers to do. To take what we have learned, identify somebody not as far along in their faith, and to bring them with us in our spiritual growth. That's the idea of discipleship. And listen, we are here this morning because of this process. If others had not taught others who would in turn teach others the truth of God's Word, Christianity would have died out in the first century after one generation. We are here because of this process that's mapped out for us in the Word of God. God wants us to be people who are allowing the grace that He gives us to overflow into the lives of others through the ministry of discipleship. And so that is why the Apostle Paul says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust. Entrust to whom? Look at the passage. To faithful men or faithful people. Here's the idea. Faithful carries with it the idea of a person of faith, a person who believes. And what I think is so important for us to grasp is this. A lot of times we think in terms of evangelism, and it's a wonderful thing to be committed to evangelism, folks. God calls us to share our faith with other people. But at times when we share our faith and somebody comes to believe the gospel and receive the truth of Jesus Christ, we say, well, good luck. I hope it works out for you. And we leave them. God's process does not stop there. God's process is we lead someone to Christ and then we see to their development and growth if we can. Now, I recognize there are some circumstances where we share with somebody on a plane and we'll never see them again, and maybe God gives us the privilege of planting a seed or, or watering or cultivating or sometimes even a harvest. Sometimes people will receive Christ and we're shocked that they receive Christ right there when we witness to them, but we're unable to see them again. We entrust them to God that somebody will come alongside them and disciple them. But listen, 
By and large, the people that we share with are family members, co-workers, neighbors, those within our sphere of influence that we interact with all the time. When someone trusts Christ, they have just been given to you as a responsibility to continue the work of growing them in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And listen, we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ not so we can look and say, hey, we want to add to our church, or hey, I want to add to the number of people that I've led to Christ. We do it to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter wrote this, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then this statement, to Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Do you want to glorify Christ? Multiply yourself. Disciple others. Teach them what it is to follow Jesus Christ. And that brings Him great glory and honor. This is what we're called to do. Jesus' own words to His disciples, the Great Commission Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's ongoing interaction that we're to do as a part of fulfilling the Great Commission, and baptizing them is part of it, but disciple-making and teaching them, an essential part of it. And in so doing... We experience the presence and the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, in their lives, and we are obedient to what He has called us to do. So, when Paul is saying this to Timothy, he's saying that we are to take these disciples, we are to teach them, but it doesn't even stop there. Look, it says, entrust a faithful man who what? Who will be able to teach others also. That's the process of multiplication. I take one or two people. I train them in what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then they take one or two people and train them in what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it multiplies. Then many are following Jesus Christ because of the work of one person in starting that discipleship process. Folks, that's how God changes minds and changes lives through that discipleship process. And that's why God calls us to it. Then, after the Apostle Paul shares with Timothy the importance of teaching others, allowing the grace of God to overflow into the lives of others, he gives us some principles and pictures of being faithful in this. And he begins in the third verse with the principle, we ought to please our commanding officer, but then the picture of a good soldier. So look at this third verse, and notice it says this, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. For those of you who have been walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what it is to suffer and your spiritual growth. You experience setbacks. 
you'll experience persecution, rejection from others. Sometimes even within the army of God, the church, you're going to be wounded. As it's been often said, the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. And sometimes that's what we experience. But does that mean that I cash it in and say, I give up? And I would say to you, absolutely not. You see, a good soldier is one who suffers, but he does so with others on his team as a part of a community, and he soldiers on. He carries on the work. I think it's so significant that the Apostle Paul in this third verse starts with share in suffering as a good soldier. Do you realize that we need each other? In the Roman army, and that's the illustration that the Apostle Paul is giving here, they were a well-trained organization. When they would go to a battlefield, they were trained to fight as a unit, to come together and to move in a direction and in maneuvers at the call of the commanding officer and respond even right on the field by a banner or by a horn. And they would move in unison together to accomplish the objective of the commanding officer. And that's why they were victorious. This is the way God wants the church to operate. In unison under the commanding officer, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to move together willing to endure suffering. If one of the soldiers stubs his toenail on a boulder, he doesn't bail out. He keeps moving in unison with the unit so that they can accomplish their objective. This is how God wants us as a church to operate. And then notice what the fourth verse goes on to point out. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, imagine a field of battle. You have a unit that has been given a command by the commanding officer, and people aren't paying attention. Oh, did you see that bird up there? Isn't that awesome? Wow. You know, I really don't like the colors that our enemies have. It's just not getting it. You know, ugly uniforms, ours are much better. I mean, you could have illustration after illustration, but you get the point. They're successful because they move together. They are successful because they aren't distracted. Imagine a unit that has half of the unit going in this direction and half of the unit going in this direction, and bedlam ensues, no success. What's the application for us? Isn't it easy to get distracted about what's really important? I love the way this is framed in this passage, that no good soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Now, here, the civilian pursuits aren't necessarily bad things. They're distractions. You know, as I read this passage of Scripture... I had to ask myself, Lord, you know, what are the distractions in my life that are keeping me from being a good soldier? What are the things that have taken my eyes off of Jesus and caused me to focus on things 
that have nothing to do with Jesus maybe aren't bad in themselves, but they're a terrible distraction. God wants us to stay focused. The Roman army was successful because they had an uncanny ability to focus. And the goal of that soldier, look at the last part of that fourth verse, was to please the one who enlisted him. You know, a prayer that we should pray before we engage in an activity is, Lord, would this be pleasing to you? Or will this become a distraction for me that will take my eyes off of Jesus? That person who's discipling uh, discipling you, maybe run it by them, hey, have you ever found this to be a distraction in your life? How do you stay focused on your walk with God? This is how God wants us as believers to operate as a unit, sharing together in our suffering, but always moving toward the command of what Christ calls us to do. This passage of Scripture is something that all of us should think about before we become engaged in something other than service to the Lord. Here's another picture for us, and that is we need to participate according to the rules. Look at the next part of this passage, verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, we've all seen stories where somebody fudges when it comes to a marathon or an Olympic. Sometimes the Olympians fudge by doping or by cutting corners, and they're disqualified from receiving the prize as a result. God wants us to understand that as a good athlete, there are things that prepare me to be a good athlete, and one of those things is training. You know, in the games that Paul is talking about, the Olympic Games of the first century, anyone who participated in the Olympic game had to swear that they had trained intensely for 10 months. So, one of the things that makes a good athlete is training. You can have all of the natural gifts in the world, but if you don't train, you will not win. God wants us to be those who train. What is our training? Our training is going into the Word of God, learning the Scripture, being discipled. I mean, the athletes have trainers, right? And those trainers work with them in the fundamentals of what it is to do their sport with excellence. That's very much like what a discipler is for us. Our trainer, helping us grow in our walk and our faith, being that trainer for us. But then the idea of competing according to the rules, I think that that is self-explanatory. The rules are the Word of God. And so, what the Word of God is calling us to do is to practically implement the teachings and the truths of God's Word into our lives. It would do an athlete no good to have cut corners, and somebody says, hey, do you know what the rules are on that? And he says, yep, just didn't do it, right? Sometimes as believers, that's the way we approach the Word of God. Yeah, I know what God's Word says. I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to make up my rules as I go along. 
God is saying that we need to be obedient to what God calls us to. That's the path to growing in the grace of God. The Apostle Paul said this to the Corinthians, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You see what the Apostle Paul is saying in that text? We, as the athletes that God has called to our given field of service, need to exercise self-control. And as we do, we do so for a reward, an eternal reward that God gives to us for our faithfulness. God wants us to be those who pursue His purpose, His will with all of our heart. Final principle and picture. The principle is work hard. The picture is that of a farmer. Look at the sixth verse and notice it says this, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have first share in his crops. Now, when the Apostle Paul describes the first century farmer as hardworking, that is a huge understatement, isn't it? Think of the work involved in farming in the first century. No tractors, just brute force work. Taking a hoe, breaking up the ground, carrying the rocks. This is the Middle East, folks. Rocks everywhere. Carrying the rocks, building a wall, planting the seeds, tending the seeds that have been planted. No modern-day irrigation, carrying buckets of water, dumping it on the plants in that semi-arid region. And then once the plants shoot up, so do the weeds, so you're weeding the garden. And then after the weeding comes the harvest. And even the harvest is work. But what's the result? You share in what has been produced in the crops. See, it wasn't just for the farmer. It was for those around the farmer. And they would share in the produce and in what was gleaned from the fields after the harvesters went through. All of this work-intensive, all of it requiring perseverance. You know, I've tried a couple of gardens and then got lazy and then looked at my gardens just blow up into nothing. You have to stay with it. Well, the same thing with our walk with God. God wants us to persevere, to stay at it, to keep after it, to keep going, and in so doing, enjoy the fruit of our work, seeing what God does through the work that we've done. God has called all of us to discipleship. He wants us to be those who work in the lives of others to see them grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, just as we have grown in that grace and knowledge. So here's what I would like to ask you practically. Are you new to the faith? Find somebody that you can attach to 
who will walk with you and work with you in growing. Identify that person that you look up to and say, wow, this person really seems to know the Lord and be walking with Him. I wonder if He would disciple me, mentor me in what it is to be a Christian. For those of you who have been a believer for years, first I ask you, where are the people you're discipling? By now, you should be a discipler. That's number one. Number two, if you're not, that's fixable. And it's fixable by you not waiting until somebody comes to you and says, hey, would you disciple me? It is you saying, I will now disciple somebody else. I'm going to come alongside them. I'm going to teach them what it is to grow in their walk with God. This is God's purpose and plan for the church, for believers. This is what we as a faith community are committed to in seeing you grow. And you're going to grow by coming to church and fellowshipping with other people and being in a small group. But your greatest area of growth will be in that one-to-one discipleship relationship with a mentor who can really invest in your life and see you grow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture, for the challenge that it is to us all, and for the call that it is to those who are new in the faith to seek to be discipled, and the call that it is to those who have been in the faith for some time to take on discipling somebody else. God, may our church be a church that grows biblically through the discipleship that you've called us to in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.